I, um, when I was trying to decide what life would look like I, in my 20s, uh, I remember a sermon series when I started attending this church in my 20s, and they called it the quarter life crisis. You know, you've heard like uh, different stages of life where you sort of begin to wonder about life and what's next and all these things. And the quarter life crisis is kind of that stage in your 20s where you get out of college, you're just kind of like, oh, maybe things are going to look different. Maybe things didn't play out that way. And for me, that's where I was. I was like, what am I doing? What should I do? And sort of sensing this call potentially into ministry. And I was uh, given this opportunity to take this internship at, at a church, which really wasn't sort of uh, a promotion or a, a move up. It wasn't even a lateral move. It was actually kind of a pretty significant uh, move back from where, what I was doing, but yet I felt like this calling, but there was a lot of insecurities because I, I recognized that there's a good chance that they're scheming <laughs> because uh, I think that this internship just isn't an internship, that it's, it's sort of like a, a tryout for becoming a pastor, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, I don't know if I want to be a pastor. I don't know if I want to walk, work in a church. I certainly, at the time, felt like I wasn't qualified, and there was a lot of insecurity, and, and yet here's this opportunity in front of me. So trying to decide what do I do and, and not really feeling like I knew. Like I, there wasn't confidence in which direction to go and not really knowing what to do. And so I remember one day coming up with a really good idea of how I, th I thought I could trick God into an answer, uh, which doesn't work, by the way, so don't do this. Um, you, you don't you, one, you, don't, you can't trick God, and two, the other thing is you don't have to, but I thought maybe I could get, God, I could get an answer out of God uh, because here's how my mind began to work. I thought, well, pastors have to go to seminary, and so... Um, I'd have to go to seminary, and, but I don't want to spend any money on it because I just don't. And, and, uh, and so, which you do have to do if you want to go to seminary. But I'm thinking, you know, there's this grant out there that pays for you to go to seminary. And if I got the grant, because I had known people who had gotten this grant, if I get the grant, then the seminary is paid for, and it's obvious then what God wants me to do. Like, that's how I can get his, his yes or his no is by getting the answer to this grant, because if I get the grant, I'll go to seminary, and if I'm going to seminary, I'll become a pastor, and then I know, like, I, I have it all figured out. And I applied for this grant, and I received a letter, and I opened it up, and it read something along the lines of, you know, dear Aaron Sorensen, uh, we're sorry, but you were not chosen for this grant. And uh, I remember where I was as I read that. I remember how I felt. It was a feeling of rejection. Um, it was a feeling of feelings of sort of sorrow. Like, okay, I guess this isn't the plan. This isn't what I'm supposed to do. And a feeling of kind of wanting to run away because I, I, I wasn't happy with where I was at and I now had no idea where to go. And I just wanted to get out. So I did. I had a friend who lived in Colorado. I got in my car and I drove to Colorado. Um, because I didn't really want to look at it anymore. I didn't want to 
live in the rejection, the insecurity, the fear, the sadness, and the sorrow, and uh, running away felt like a good move. And ask the question, well, what's next? How many of you can relate it? I would think every single person watching, every single person listening here has these moments in, in life where we think things are going to go this way. We dream about life going this way. We even work hard for life to go this way. And then things shatter. Things change. Things happen that we didn't plan for. And we are shook, wondering, is this God's plan? What's next? What should I do? And the story that I want to read for you guys this morning is two people who have been shook. They, they thought that life was going to go one way. They thought that Jesus was the Messiah. They thought the Messiah would look like this. And now he's dead. He looks nothing like a king. And he's dead. So what now? This is uh, out of the book of Luke. It's entitled, On the Road to Emmaus. It says this, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Uh, let's just quickly pause right there. On the same day, we're talking Easter Sunday, we're talking Resurrection Sunday, we're talking about the, the day that Jesus is not in the tomb, and and... Uh, he's alive, he's resurrected, but you have these followers, these disciples, who on that same day have left Jerusalem, and they're on their way to a village called Emmaus, and they say, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of his companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. So you have these two people leaving Jerusalem on their way to Emmaus, and they end up telling Jesus, not knowing that it's Jesus, that they're, they're downtrodden. They're sorrowful. They had, they had gone to Jerusalem with all of these hopes, with all of these expectations. They, they could not deny what they had seen or heard. And it had created in them dreams and hopes and, and, and excitement about this Jesus who looks like the Messiah. And that, that in our lifetime, we get to experience the long-awaited Messiah. And they 
were like everybody else in how they viewed the Messiah. Because everybody missed it. Everybody missed that, 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 that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And they missed what, what the Bible talks about the Messiah uh, and all the clues pointing to the Messiah. They missed that the Messiah would suffer. They missed that the Messiah would die. None of this had been hidden from them. It was in the scriptures. But, but they're doing what we do. We don't write suffering and, and pain into our stories. You don't grow up going, you know, when I grow up, I, I'm, I'm going to have a divorce. Or you don't grow up going, I, I'm going to have a kid who gets a, a, a diagnosis that changes the trajectory of our life. Or you don't, you don't grow up going, you know, I, 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 I'm going to have a kid who has special needs or, or who is really, it's just really tough to raise. Or I, I, I'm going to grow up and lose my job. I'm going to grow up and, and struggle with debt. And have all sorts of financial problems. I'm going to grow up and have a lot of relational problems. We don't, <laughs> we don't write this stuff into our stories. And we, in fact, we see it play out in other people's lives. But there's still something in us that go, well, that's not going to be my story. When in fact, it is our stories. They end up being our stories. And what these two are doing is, is what, we, what we do. We, uh, we dream, which we should, and it's great, we, but those, those dreams create expectations, um, and when the ex- unmet expectations create pain, they create uh, feelings of rejection and, and, and sorrow, and here's a story playing out that no one, that everybody missed, because when you think about the Messiah and you think about the king, think about a king. What's a king look like? A king is someone who exhibits strength and power and might and majesty. And, and uh, kings and queens are, are dressed to, you know, in, in, to the nines in, in glamorous uh, jewels and in, in the best linens to sort of say, like, I am different than you. I exhibit power and might and, and, and strength. And they would ride on, on beautiful, strong horses or chariots. Like everything that, that, that people could see was pointing to the might and the power and the majesty of, of the king or the queen. So when you think about what your Messiah is going to look like, Even if the Bible says, and it's all there, go read Isaiah. Isaiah says, look, there's nothing physical that's going to draw you to him. In fact, he's he's not going to be the best looking guy. He's not going to be dressed to the T. He's not going to be rich. The dude's going to enter Jerusalem on a donkey, not a horse. But we don't want that kind of Messiah. We don't want that for a king. And everybody missed it because even though it was there, they couldn't believe it. They could not believe that this was the story. And I, you know, I just go, as I was reflecting, I go, there's been times in my life where I just go, I cannot believe this is my story. I never would have written this. 
I never could have imagined this happening. It was never a part of what, what I wanted. And, and the thing about it is what it does is when, when, these, when unmet expectations sort of function in our, our lives, it begins to blind us. That God might actually be there. That God maybe has something to do in this. That maybe good could come through this. Because what happens is, is often uh, the, pain, the pain or the suffering or, or the unmet expectations or the dreams, the broken dreams, like they, they, they just uh, paralyze us. And we, we wonder where God is, or maybe we go as far to say God doesn't exist, or, um, you know, I, I don't know if I can keep going. And what's natural is to run. I want out. I need, I, I, I need out. And I, I, that's what I did in my rejection. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to look at the truth. And I can't see that maybe God could still do something here. And this is what we see these two travelers. I mean, they openly admit to Jesus, like, we're, we're leaving. We left. Because our hopes have been dashed. The story, the movie didn't end the way we wanted it to. And I think it's easy to maybe make these two, like, the bad guys in the story, but this is us. Like all of all of us have these roads to Emmaus, and um, you know it goes on to say in the text that it names one of these traver, travelers as as Cleopas, and then the other person is not named. And uh, last week I made the mistake of of constantly referring to the two men traveling in the story. And uh, after the last service, I had uh, two women come up to me who I know well, and I know their hearts, and so I know, you know, it wasn't like this. You're wrong. But they go, you know that that other person was a woman, right? And I said, really? I didn't know that. They go, well, they didn't teach you that in seminary? I don't remember that class, but... Um, yeah, it could be a woman. There's thought that it's a uh, man and a wife. Uh, it could be two men. It could be two brothers. It could be two friends. It could be two men or a man or a woman. But it doesn't matter. That's not the point. Luke doesn't put the name of the second traveler in the book and maybe it's because it was a woman and you don't identify the woman in, in this matriarchal society but maybe it's because this unnamed person just represents any one of us. Any of us who have hopes and dreams that are dashed. Any one of us that life plays out and our story is written in a, in a far different way than we imagine. The, the reality is all of us find ourselves on these, these roads to Emmaus. And it's not 
that it, it's not figuring out who the person was. And, and you know, I, I said to this person who, who told me this, I go, you just made the point for me, my whole sermon. I said, sometimes we get so hung up on things that don't matter or things that aren't right. And we miss the truth right in front of our face. Here's two travelers who miss that they're walking with the Messiah. They, you know, everybody missed Jesus because they were hung up on things that didn't matter or things that weren't true. The, the, the Messiah came as a suffering servant in weakness so that the weak could see that he came for them. How many of us can relate? If the president walks in any country, none of us can relate to this. Jesus is coming because he goes, I, I want you to real, I, I want you to know that you, I'm like you. You can, I, I want you to be able to relate with me and be in relationship with me. Like you don't have to have it all put together. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to, you know, be religious or perfect. Like I, he comes in meekness. He comes in sorrow. He comes in brokenness because he came for the meek. He came for the sorrowful. He came for the broken. He goes, I'm not an elitist <laughs> that only the best get my presence. Any single one of you tried to get a meeting with the president this next week, it's unlikely you're going to get one with him. You're not important enough. I'm not important enough. If Jesus comes as a king dressed to the T on, on a beautiful uh, horse and power, and he comes in power, might, and prestige, we all look and go, how can... I'm not important to him. I'm nobody. Jesus came as a nobody, so nobody's knew that he came for them. And everybody missed it. Everybody. And here we have these travelers walking, and Jesus, after hearing this, he says this. How foolish you are. This is verse 25. And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. In other words, look, this isn't stuff we hid from you. It's all right there. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus, con Jesus continued on as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he, gave, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked with, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So Jesus hears this and he recognizes that these two have, they've, they've missed it like everybody else and he just he, he gent, gently but firmly goes, you, you know, you missed it. How foolish. It was all there. Let me show you. And, and he redirects them to, to help them understand what is really going on. What is true. You know, when I made it to uh, Colorado, I went on a walk in the mountains by myself, and I remember uh, walking like down. I can just remember this for some reason, like 
walking back down to where I was staying, and, and I was talking to God, and, and all of a sudden, I, I just, this question came into my mind, my heart, which I believe was from God, and the question was, why shouldn't you do this? Why shouldn't you take this internship and see? And I, you know, up until this moment, I, I had only been asking the question, why should I? I'd never looked at it that way. Why shouldn't I? But why should I? And God could have put a thousand burning bushes, and I would have wanted one more. To, to, to go, are you sure? And, you know, like the insecurities and the fear, like the power that that can have over us uh, and how it can blind us, it is real. And no matter how many times God might have put like a burning bush there to tell me, do it, I always wanted more. I always needed more. It's never enough. And it wasn't until God redirected my thinking and created a paradigm shift in me or why wouldn't you? And I couldn't come up with a very good answer. And it was that redirecting to see things different, to look at my circumstances, to look at my, the rejection, to look at the, the insecurities and the fears, just a little different that I was, that I was able to, to go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it because I... I want to follow Jesus as, as insecure and as terrified uh, and unprepared I am to potentially become a pastor. At the end of the day, I want to follow Jesus. And I want to go where he goes. And if this is where he's going, he must know something that I don't. And despite how I'm feeling, I either trust him or go with my feeling here and just run. And obviously I'm here, so you kind of know how the story played out. And, and, you know, it was so, like, I, I think about things and I go, it would you know, if I could have got God to give me the answer. I get that, that, that uh, I, I get that grant, I go, to, I go to seminary, become a pastor. Like, this was my plan and how I want it, and it's super clean. Just love it. Just boom, boom, boom. Type A. I like it. Just one, I got it. We just check things off. That's what I like. And now I can look back. And I can see, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. A lot of, the path was never really straight. But ultimately, that rejection letter, not getting that grant, it didn't stop God. Uh, the first church I went to died. Not a great first experience. Um, I wanted to quit. Uh, that didn't stop God. Went and planted a church the first summer. There was like 20 people there. I just gonna walk away here. This is awkward. Um, this thing's dead and just chalk up a second death thanks to Pastor Aaron. Um, maybe I'm not cut out for this. That church is alive and well. And what God did in the church that died, uh, no one can ever rip that away. It happened. And sometimes things don't last forever, and that's okay. But I ended up here, and God's done things, and, and I can see now, but I had no idea then. No idea. The only thing you can do 
is to just keep following Jesus despite what you see or what you feel or give up. And I, you know, maybe, maybe these guy, guys or guy and gal are giving up. But dis, let's say they are. Let's say they are and they desert, they're deserting it. Because I think it is interesting that they leave on the day and they'd heard rumors of resurrection and the body's not there. Like, wouldn't you want to stick around and sort of see how this plays out? Wait, so Jesus' body isn't there. And, like, Mary said she saw an angel. And Mary actually said she talked to Jesus. Um, yeah, see ya. That's, that is what the power of, like, uh, wanting to be right or, or uh, the power of rejection or the power of, of hopelessness can have over us. Despite even like signs that God might be there, we just can't believe it. So let's say they are deserters and they give up. Who does Jesus meet with on their road out as they run away? These two. It's this beautiful picture of God's grace. Because these, these two travelers have done nothing. In fact, why doesn't Jesus show up to the 11 first? At least they stayed in Jerusalem. At least they didn't bow out. You know, shouldn't they, like the 11, they're not perfect, but they're not as bad as these two. But here again is this amazing example of Christ and his grace and compassion and mercy and love. That these two travelers, even in their leaving, he meets with them. They don't do anything to deserve it. So th- you know what? In, in your roads to Emmaus, it's, like, it's not fix it, figure it out, change it, become a better person, get your life together, uh, become more holy or, or more religious. That's not the invitation here. The invitation is to walk with Jesus, say yes. Because all that these two travelers do is this person comes and they, they agree to walking with, walking with him. And all they do is they walk with him and they chat, they talk, they talk and they listen. And that's, that's the invitation in the midst of God's grace, in your brokenness, in, your, in, in the stories that are playing out that you don't want in your life. And even the stories that you have manufactured and made a mess of, even in your running This I know, that you can't get far enough away from the presence of God. He might be there, and and you you don't even know. The invitation and the response from us is to not fix it or be better. It's to to just, in faith, walk with Jesus. To go, I'm going to walk with him. And I don't want this. I, I don't. I don't want this, pl- this story in my life. Uh, I want nothing more than to get out of it. I want to run out of it. But I, I'm going to, despite how I feel, despite like what I see, I am going to choose to walk by faith. And I'm just going to, I'm going to take a step with Jesus. And I'm going to tell him how I feel. And I'm going to tell him my rejection. I'm going to, I'm going to tell him my feelings of pain and sorrow and doubt. And I'm just going to, I'm going to walk with him. I'm not going to give up. And I'm just going to listen. 
and I'm going to be patient, and I'm going to trust that walking with him is the best. And maybe there's a day I look back and I see I, I, I have meaning behind this pain or this suffering. But maybe I look back and I still don't have meaning, but I have peace. You know, I, I, I keep that rejection letter for two reasons, and I read it every so often. Why? So I can, I can first uh, remember that life doesn't always go the way that I had thought or planned or orchestrated. And despite that, it does not mean that God is not there, and it does not mean that God is done with me. When I, that rejection letter to me, uh, years ago, it signified that God was done with me and the potential, my, the potential of me being a pastor. That's what it signified. Was that true? Obviously not. But that's what it felt like. But now I look back with that letter and I realize, like, when, when despite the circumstances and things playing out and despite how I, I'm feeling... I can look back and see that, that, that nothing can get in the way of the plans of God. No work of man. No rejection by this place. The invitation uh, that, that that letter invites me into is to trust God, that, that he's not done with me. So I look at that letter to remind myself that life isn't always going to go the way that I had planned and to remind myself that God, it doesn't mean that God's not there and it doesn't mean that God's not with me. And the second thing when I read that letter is it reminds me not to give up. Don't give up. Sometimes that's the best thing and the only thing you can do. It's not fix it, change it. Uh, it's just don't give up. Keep going. Keep trusting. Keep following. Despite how it feels, keep Trusting and walking with Jesus. And that's what I want to leave with you this morning. On your roads to Emmaus. On your roads where you're running away. Know that Jesus might just be there with you. And are you, are, are you willing to, to sort of humble yourself to open your eyes to see that he's there, despite maybe your, your bad choices, your sin, your, your natural reaction to run. But to also see that he loves you, he's there, and he, he's, he wants to help redirect you. Maybe to see your circumstances a little different, to see that maybe there is hope. Even though I didn't want it to play out this way, it doesn't mean that God can't use it, or God's going to waste it, or that there isn't a light in the midst of this darkness, because that is the resurrection. This is what the resurrected Christ offers to us today, light in the midst of darkness. When, de when he defeated the death, it means every little death you can experience in this life, he can resurrect. But it takes faith and patience to, and courage to keep saying yes to Jesus every day and to say, I'll keep following, I'll keep trusting, but I need you and I, I need you to keep me going. 
I said this in the last service as we close. I'll say it now. This church is not a collection of people who are working to have it all together. In fact, we let each other down. And if you stick around this church long enough, if you're new, I hate to say it, but you will be let down. Because we are imperfect. But I'll tell you what we won't be. We will not be a people that give up on each other. We will be a people that continue to spur one another on. To pray for each other. To watch kids when people need, you know, a break. To give meals when people don't have the time and are struggling to make sense of things. To be a place where we, we pray for one another. A place to go, I will carry you if I have to. But I ain't going to let you stop or give up. That's the church I want to be and I want to be a part of. So keep going. On your road to Emmaus, know that Jesus is with you. And don't be afraid to turn around and walk back with him. We're going to go to the Lord's table, and I just go, man, there was this powerful moment where they realize that when Jesus breaks bread, they're like, wow, it's Jesus. He's alive. So during this next worship set, we invite you to come to the Lord's table, and maybe you're asking what's next, and, and, and not to go, I want to figure that out, but what I want to do is I just, I want to say yes to Jesus this morning, that despite what not knowing what's next, I knew, I'm going to say yes to him and keep following him. And we get to go to the Lord's table and we, we, we do it in remembrance of him to remember his, his sacrifice, but also to proclaim that he's not done and he's coming again and he is not done with you. So if you're a Christian, someone who f has committed to following Jesus, we invite you to come to the Lord's table. You can come up front, be served. If you want to go to the back, you can go to the back. We have a gluten-free station in this corner here for those of you who need that. But let's go proclaiming that Jesus is not done with us, that he's defeated death, that whatever's broken can be healed, whatever's dead can be brought back to life. That's what we get to do when we go to the Lord's table. Let's claim that truth. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're not done with us. We thank you that despite our weakness, our sin, our failure, you, uh, you work in us and through us. And we come now to your table and we proclaim that you are alive, you are the resurrected Christ, and we proclaim that you are not done. Despite what we see happening in this world, despite what we see happening in our lives, despite all the darkness, pain, and suffering, you are not done and there is hope for all mankind forever. We thank you, Jesus, and we cling to that truth. In your name, amen.